Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit. Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets. Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it. Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. I'm sick with the pet. Brothers and sisters are sick in the pet. Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan. America's plan, depression sets in. People becoming so hopeless. Said we can't breathe, they still choke us. They put the body cam on, it's either turn off or out of focus. Yeah, another death, another life. They pull the trigger, no thinking twice. Cops be wildin', the killing youth. The new Jim Crow, a different noose. It's the beast, it's the beast, mark of the beast. Cease and desist, increase the peace. Move in silence, don't make a sound. But when they come, stand your ground. R.I.P. to all the martyrs. Say your prayer, Heavenly Father. Black lives matter, black lives matter. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of The Creative Gourd. I am Josh Waring. We have Mr. Excuse me, Professor Yisrael in the building. (laughs) And we also have another member of faculty. Mr. C.J. Miller is a middle school theater teacher. So he's ready to captivate our minds and imaginations. I can't wait. C.J., Mr. Millerati, what up? Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to glad to be here. I'm very, very much excited. Slightly nervous, but ready to get into it. All that nervous energy is channeling. Let's do it. Dope. That's yeah. what's up. And we already have people in the comment sections. There we go. What's going on, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, happy Father's Day. Yes, yes. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers, the role models. Uh, you know, thank you. Absolutely. So today... We're going to have an amazing topic, and it was gifted to us by our special guests. So, CJ, if you don't mind for the people, because they weren't behind the scenes like we were, could you tell us where you got the inspiration for the idea and why you think it's a topic that we all discuss? And just for the record, we all believe it's worth discussing, but just just for the audience, please. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about uh, complacency, which initially I was ta- talking about... Um, white complacency but um and we'll start, we start with that first or wherever you want to take it but uh i think complacency as a whole of contributing to racism and the, the reason why is because people just just the bare minimum is enough for so many people mm. um and i'll even just look at uh we got coming up uh, the next election is going to be is as trump versus biden Mm-hmm. And like, and everyone's like, well, this is what it is. This is, these are our choices. Our choices are the racist and the bigot. That's, <laughs> that's what they give us, two old white dudes again. And that, that well, it's not, it's not Trump. Let's, we, we need someone else who's not Trump. And, and not Trump is not good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Because like Trump is so scum that if you go better than him, you can still be scum. So that complacency of just like doing the bare minimum uh, is what irks me. Um, an example, now the de- defund the police. And I have a lot of friends, a lot of allies, and we need to defund the police. We need to defund the police. And it, 
try to be try to stay calm and 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 chill for a minute. <laughs> to to defund the police is to ignore why the police exist and to ignore the truth about America's history. So the United States as we know it was created by white supremacists for the purpose of maintaining white supremacy. When you have that, you have laws that are created. Those laws are created specifically to uphold the values of the people who created them, which is white supremacists. So now you have laws that are created to uphold white supremacy. You create a police force to enforce those laws. So by definition, in the United States, the police were created to enforce and uphold white supremacy. That is the way it has been. That is the way it always is. So to defund them is to defund white supremacy. And that is the most complacent way of thinking I can think of. Like, that's good enough for you? You just want to you just want to make it harder for white supremacists. Like, what do you mean But defund? So they can't afford tanks? So they can't afford assault rifles? I'm pretty sure the reason why people are so upset is because a police officer used his knee to murder a man. He didn't use a fancy weapon. He didn't need any type of funding. He didn't need a fancy vest to keep him safe. He had his hands in his pocket on a, and a knee on George's neck. So you want to defund that. I want that done. The police have constantly in, infringed on my freedom as a black man and as a black person. And I'm done. I want them out. I want them out of the picture. My freedom is not negotiable. The freedom of my children is not negotiable. My children will be safe and they will be free and feel that way. I'm not meeting anybody halfway on anything. You either agree with that or you are part of the problem. So to just like, well, maybe we should just shift the jobs of the police or whatever. All the jobs, social work, people, the things that I'm hearing, those sound fine. The problem is the police. We don't need them. Get them out of the way and start over from ground one. I know if you want law enforcement and want this, whatever, we need a group of people who are actually checking for everybody to determine that. Who's in the room when we're coming up with whatever is going to replace the police? But the police force and everybody who's down with them and everybody who's with them, they got to go. There's no, well, I'm a cop now. Can I be this other thing? You can apply. You can apply, and but your resume says that you worked for the police for a little while, so that may hurt you. I don't know. I'm not really thinking about what's coming next. I just know I want the pain to stop, and the police have a painful presence and always have. That's why they were created. The, the system is working the way it was designed to work. So that's, and, and my anger comes from the complacency of people who were like, we need to do something. Yeah, so let's do it. Let's get rid of the police. And well, we can't go about it like this. We got to go about, let's write letters. We can write letters. We can do all that. Again, we're at the bare minimum. Hmm. The bare minimum. So let's back a little bit for we can, if I can. Are we, are we good? Am I talking too much? No, no, brother. Go ahead. All right. So we, let's talk about at some point many, many years ago when slavery was legal, there had to be some white people of that day 
who were disgusted with slavery, absolutely disgusted with slavery and said, this has to stop. I'm so angry at this. So you know what I'm going to do? You wait. Next year in November, I'm going to vote. <laughs> and they just watched lynching after lynching and just slave after slave being auctioned away, families being destroyed, just the worst massacres ever to human beings. And they were saying, you'll see. We'll show them come November. That's the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum you can do. Where is John Brown? Mm. Where are the John Browns of the world? They ain't making them no more. Mm. And I'm not, let me pull back a little bit just so I say, I'm not trying to advocate actual physical violence because that's only going to get you so far. But there needs to be some type of aggression, some type of absolute, nope, I'm done with this. I'm done with all of it in order to show that you care. Because waiting that you can just vote and doing all the protesting and all that stuff is great. Protesting, and it's like, it's like a pep rally. It gets stuff going, it raises awareness, it gets us together, it shows us who's checking for who. That's really, really good. But we, it doesn't put points on the board. At some point, the game got to get started. Now, what that game is, we got to talk about. But the sitting around waiting, and I'm primarily talking about white people, two white people here, because they're the ones in the position of power. They got to do something. Black people have never wanted to be oppressed. Black people never wanted to be slaves. So it didn't matter that all the slaves wanted to be free. Nothing changed until some white, person, some white people started doing something. Now, maybe those white people started doing something because black slaves started like getting at them one way or another. Mr. Nat Turner, thank you for your service. But at some point, white people have to stop saying, okay, we gotta do more. So then you had white people who were gonna be more than complacent. They were like, I'm gonna do, I'm not just gonna vote. I'm gonna be active, I'm gonna fight for it. And then they did, they were getting people's faces. They were doing some stuff, they were helping slaves escape, they were doing that work. And then slavery was abolished. Emancipation Proclamation came through. And a lot of those white people said, yes, we did it. The slaves are free. And the slaves are like, thank you, appreciate it, high five, boom. Now I'm gonna go get me a job so I can work beside you and date your daughter and vote. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on, slave. Hold on. You still, you still black. My success came from helping free you. This whole equality thing, no. And they were satisfied with that little bit of work that they did. They were complacent. They were complacent in that little bit of work, which is a bare minimum. Slavery? Slavery is so disgusting, everyone should have a problem with it. So it's nothing special that you want a slavery to end. You don't get a pat on the back because you want a slavery to end. Everybody say, Abraham Lincoln, great move. He did the bare minimum. He ended slavery. That's, that's an easy one. Don't have slavery. Don't have slaves. Most countries don't even write that into their constitution because it's like, we don't do that. Right? So what's, what's America's problem that, that somebody doing the bare minimum is now seen as a national hero? That... 
reflects a complacent society where you only need to do the bare minimum. So that's what brings us here today. Beautiful. <clears throat> Beautiful. And um, you, you raised so many great points. And what I would what I would offer listening to you is that it seems like we're talking about this. Let's call it a coin, a coin of complacency. And there are two sides of that coin. You got the white side. I don't know if that's heads or tails, but you got the white side. Right. And then you got the other side, which is people of color. So if we talk about this coin of complacency, you have the, the white folks who've been complacent, et cetera. But I think this coin of complacency exists because the other side, the question is, what are we not doing in order for folks to be comfortable enough to be complacent? And I think it's now time for us to shake the proverbial table and start flipping stuff off, like over and just knocking things down, kicking indoors, waving the 4-4, all that. And that's metaphorically speaking, of course. What I'm saying is, is that we can't give folks that opportunity, that lifeline to be complacent. We can't be or appeal to our, um, our tendency to forgive, our tendency to be not docile, but to be humble, to be um, nice, kind, loving, sweet, all the things that we are as people that has gotten us so far in this in this cruel world, we can't afford to be that right now. I think we need to open the white supremacist manual, you know, skip past the chapter of hate and get to the place where it says, how do you make people change their behavior or how do you get folks to change a certain behavior and act a different way? And I think right now we're in a moment where we're, we, we really need to, one, unify and two, not take our foot off the gas pedal, not get distracted, not allow for ourselves to be complacent, which gives a signal for others to be complacent. Because honestly, I've said this plenty of times before, if I was a white male of privilege with wealth, with everything given to me because of the founding of this country, would I be so ready to change? And honestly, I got to say, no, I, I can't sit here in good faith and say, yes, I'd be ready to change. I can't. The game seems too good that way. I mean, honestly, it looks good. Definitely does. So what are we going to do on that other side of that coin of complacency to make sure that we hold these folks accountable, particularly those who say that they're good people, to not be complacent? As a matter of fact, we need those folks on the white side of the coin to be the John Browns and the Nat Turners because we's tied and we need you to step in. It's fourth quarter, game's on the line, we could take the shot, but I'd like for you to step up this time. Absolutely. And I think that's a brilliant metaphor in addition to the coin. So I would just have to add to that and say it's a double-sided coin, right? And that's literally illustrating the privilege. So essentially the only time where, let's say, black people are equal is when the coin is on that side. And the only time you can do that is when you spin it and try to make the get rich or die trying intro. So... <laughs> It's just, not, it's just not realistic. And if you honestly think about it, we can go by event by event. So even the original laws that were created by the founders did not have black people as citizens. So there's already legal precedent for that mindset, let's say, right? And then not to mention the police are a, let's say 2.0 version of the slave patrol, right? 
And if you think about it, the what what are police? Police are also a fraternal order, right? Similar to the Freemasons. And in fact, the Freemason checkerboard is on the police caps when they actually have their proper uniform during ceremonies, which is interesting. So you have the people and who are essentially assigning people to have uh, the the right to assess morality, right? As if you had a monopoly on morality, and we certainly know that they don't. So for me, it's when I see events like Lincoln, and I have to say, I have to shout out my boy Shido 5, rest in peace Shido 5, she said that he observed history. And if you think about it, when companies like John Deere were being founded, really it was the technology had catched up with the farmers the farmers being the slaves. So you really had no need for the slaves anymore in the field. So it was convenient, like, oh, like you said, let's do the bare minimum, let's set them free, and then no, uh, you know, things like civil war and all that, or succeeding from the country and, and whatever. And then the crazy part is, is that I feel like we all are aware of the concept of divide and conquer, and these, these concepts were conjured from studying slaves. Right. So what's the first, they literally know how to break down black people is by separating the groups. Right. And then creating a divide and conquer mentality. Oh, that person said this about you. Wait, for real. Oh, nah, you can't do that. And just like that. So that's the, to me, that's also the danger of things like social media, because it's a, it allows you to think without responding. So that that can be incredibly dangerous. And then, you know, essentially, we're, we're aware of the concept of Karen. And I feel like there's going to be a. Uh, and then a submission in the dictionary in the next five years for what a Karen is just to, just to add some context. So I think about no matter what your status as a black person, you're still black, right? So it doesn't matter who you are at the end of the day, you're still black. You still can be victim of the privilege, right? And everyone can be a witness on video and people will still not see, well, let's say uh, they'll, they won't, let go of their cognitive dissonance. But at this point, like Mix and I were saying, it's, it's conscious cognitive dissonance. You, we already know you know better. So someone like Drew Brees, he certainly knows better. How many hours has he logged with black players? You know, essentially his whole career. So this, this is not anything new. There's certain camaraderie and respect in the locker room. So things like that would probably come up. So it's just, um, and I, I agree with you, CJ. It's, it's the complacency that leads to, we'll, we'll see you next November, right? And as, and there's you're you're right, and I think we as as men need to stop being complacent in many many ways too. And uh, black men, I'll, I'll say that and speak myself as a cisgender black man. But think of the movements: Black Lives Matter, Pride, the climate crisis, the charge against that. All of these movements are started by women. So why are, why are, but we're, all of them are, are affecting men. So where are we at? Why are we complacent with doing whatever it is that we're doing, which I don't know. I don't know. We show up to the party and, it, and it's late, but we're complacent when it's, when it's time for a Black Lives Matter movement because a man was murdered, men show up. However, when it's time to, to check for Black women, women of color during the women's march where we at we were good enough to show up for our stuff but then when it's time for them because they, they show up for ours they check it for us all the time 
and when it comes to our, our, our black trans sisters and brothers, where are we at? Where are we at checking for them? They get murdered and they get murdered by us. I can't stand seeing like, oh, black trans woman was murdered today. And I'm like, the police had it again, huh? Oh, nope. Oh, that's on. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we complacent to say black lives matter without living black lives matter? Because it's not black men matter. It's not black heterosexuals matter. It's not black straight lives matter. It's not whatever it may be. If you black, you matter. And, it, and we got to be more active in all of that. Because if we're not, all they need, them meaning white people who ain't trying to get with the program, is a little bit of excuse to say, well, why should I check for them? Why should I check for black women? We only check for black women. In fact, how dare you tell me to do that? I seen you. I didn't see your actions. The only people you check for are other black men. They had that, uh, the, what was the versus joint with Kirk Franklin and old boy? <coughs> and they were listing off all, you know, people who were killed by uh, unarmed black people killed by police and it was just men mm. and just mm. naming the men. Mm. I'm like, and I'm waiting and I'm just listening and waiting. I'm like, give me anybody. Can I get a, can I get a Sandra Bland in there? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Can I get a Bri Brianna? Brianna Taylor hurt me more than, than anything else. Mm -hmm. hurt me more than anything else. And I, and this morning was the reason I real I it finally re realized why Brianna Taylor is the one that hit me the hardest and it's because I didn't realize that every day when I go down and lay my head down to sleep, I'm like, made it, we did it. I lived another day without being murdered by the police. I didn't know how much that meant to me. And the reason why Breonna Taylor hit me so hard was because it was a reminder of like, you didn't make it. You could be sleeping in your bed and they still come kill you. No one in your house has a warrant for anything. No one here is wanted for anything, but you black, which means that they can come kill you in your sleep. So now I can't even, even sleep without worrying about it happening to me. So what can I do about that? I don't know if I can do anything about that in terms of police except be loud and be aggressive and not be complacent. I want all my freedom. I want it now. Uh, they, they said we would get 40 acres in a, in a mule. There was some complacency there when everybody didn't march to the White House and demand it. Well, now I want my 40 acres and my mule and my interest. I want it all. I want it. I'm like Killer Mike and LP. I'm going to make you run the jewels. That's what I want. You had your chance. You didn't want to play nice. It's been centuries. It's been centuries. I still tell people the complacency of people. People I saw on Facebook, like, you know, Aunt Jemima, she gone, Uncle Ben gone, and some people are there. Well, why now? It's been around for so long. What's the problem with it now? And the complacency to think of, to even, I don't even, that's, that's caucasity. That's not even complacency. The caucasity to say that because what that means is there were white people back in the day when they were like, hey, we're going to abolish slavery, who said, well, why now? They've been slaves for so long. Why now? And someone should have not been complacent enough to say, well, that's their opinion. Someone should have been said, I'm not going to be complacent. I'm going to check that person right now and say, listen, it doesn't matter when it was, it's due. It's due. It's been due. It shouldn't even have been a problem. It should have been checking for these people. 
So I'm like, so as, as a black man, I'm not going to be complacent in just liking and comment and other thing like that. I'm going to be far more aggressive in terms of uh, being a feminist ally, being an ally to my, all my pride peeps, all the LGBTQIA peeps, all my transgender uh, sisters and brothers. I got to do a better job of, of representing for them and using my privilege in spaces in which they cannot. Because that's the only way I get to look at white people and say, where you at? Which is not really true. But for me, I sleep better at night because I can't fix white people. I can't do anything except tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. But the truth is men in general are not doing a great job mm-hmm. of a lot of this work. You can name a man who's doing a good job. You can name a few men, but if you put all our names in a hat, all men in a hat and pull out, you probably get one who's very complacent because that male privilege has allowed him to exist in a particular level above other people. Even as a black man, is bad. But look, Brianna got murdered in her sleep. She ain't getting no, she ain't getting no, where's her protest? It came mm-hmm. later. It came later. That, that one hurt my soul. It hurt mm-hmm. my, my, oh, that one crushed me. And mm-hmm. I'm also super mad about the fact that we got so many stories now that everybody has a specific one that really, really, really cut them deep. Mm-hmm. Because it's normalized. We hear so many of them. All of them should, our, our heart, my heart can't take all the stories that cut me deep. I still haven't even watched the video of George Floyd. I haven't even watched it yet. I don't, I don't think I will. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I, I, I've been pissed off since Breonna Taylor to more, more angry than I've been in my life. And I, I can't, I'm afraid of if I, that if I get angry, what will happen? But mm. I don't need that. Some people need the stories. I don't think anybody needs the video. I think if you need the video, there might be some, some complacency in your soul. Mm-hmm. Like I need to see this in order to be motivated. You need to see that. You need to see a lynching in order to like get up and do something about it. Hmm. that's complacency in terms of your thinking. Just think about it. Just think about what that, that man was a father, a coworker. What more do you need? Don't you need a video? Just think, don't just be on the service. Think about what that means. Who's not going to see him anymore. Who is he never going to see again? Who's that? Who is he never going to be able to just call him up and like, let me text you joy to see if he saw that movie. Just think about all of those things that that, that that police officer took from him mm-hmm. and took from others. Don't be complacent and say, this is bad. Why is it bad? Ask yourself why and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. We got to get, we've been, we've been complacent for too long. We need to start being able to get uncomfortable real quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for all those things. I want to amplify a number of things that you said. Um, you know, first and foremost, unfortunately, I went to go buy some shirts at a store that I usually buy shirts from um, called The Movement Philly. And, you know, that's one of the shirts I'm wearing, do it for the culture. Um, and, you know, he was showing me a number of different T-shirts. One of the shirts was a Black Lives Matter T-shirt. He was like, you know, unfortunately, we had to update it. So when you think about that, is that you have to update to add more names to fit into the Black Lives Matter piece, that's a problem. When you think about the fact that you and I are both in education, uh, CJ, if you think about if you or I murdered someone on the job and we were only fired, 
that would be a problem. But then they said, you know what? The person that we murdered, right? Um, we're going to name a classroom after them. We're, we're, we're going to pass um, this law because, you know, they, yeah, they, they matter. It's, it's, and, and it's when we talk about this complacency piece, there's certain things where I don't know if folks think we're stupid or if they're just that callous or if they understand that they have so much power and they've instilled fear in so many people that they don't think they're going to be held accountable. And my thing is, particularly because of my faith and how I believe, you might not be held accountable here on this earth, but damn, it's going to be a day of reckoning for you. And that's on you, bro. That's on you, sis. Do your thing. But when we talk about this piece in terms of complacency, yes, you think about the whole notion that not only was this country founded on white supremacy, it was also founded on patriarchy, the founding fathers. If you think about what hegemonic society or dominant culture is, it's white, heterosexual, cisgender, male, wealthy, able-bodied, the list goes on. So when you think about that, we often start to look at things through that lens. And even if we have an identity, identify as black, identify as something else, there's times when you're usually measuring your identity up to that hegemonic culture or dominant society because history has shown us that that is what's right or valued. And it's hard to really stand up for yourself when you keep getting shut down, put down, literally. Um, so we think about this in terms of us having to stand up, particularly black men standing up for our black sisters and brothers, but more importantly, our black sisters, right? Um, I think we need to get to the point where we actually come to some terms of agreement where we say, you know what, this is what we're, this is how we're moving forward. Realizing that everyone's struggle might not be the same, but please believe all of our struggles are intertwined. All of them are interconnected. And if you're for liberation, but you're not for my liberation, then are you really for liberation? We have to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. So when we think about what's happening right now, I've seen complacency and, and I did a presentation about, um, this is for our Martin Luther King Day um, um, Social Justice Symposium. I did, a, I did a presentation called Radical Love, Moving from Allyship to Accomplice, to Be an Accomplice. And in that, what I talked about was the difference between sympathy and empathy. And I think what we're seeing right now on, on a large scale is a shift from sympathy to empathy. And I hope, I hope that we don't get complacent and particularly white folks, they move from empathy to actually to actual compassion and then from compassion to engagement. And what I mean by that is that in sympathy, for example, if we want to use a source grammarly, sympathy refers to the ability to take part in someone else's feelings, mostly by feeling sorrowful about their misfortune. Operative word is their misfortune. It's not affecting me, right? It's not affecting me. I'm not really impacted. I don't feel it. But their misfortune. Oh, it's so sad. I feel so bad for them. But empathy, though, is the term we use for the ability to understand other people's feelings as if we are having them ourselves. It must have been the fact that George Floyd actually called out for his mother, who was passed for two years. Maybe that's maybe that's the thing that got you. I don't know what it is because everyone can say, well, I, I, I can identify with having a mother. Yeah. I can, and it just doesn't make sense. I don't know what it is. But there's been so many things that's been happening. And now we're seeing a part where we're moving from sympathy to empathy. But I hope we don't get complacent, like you said particularly white folk, my vanilla brothers and sisters, right? What are we going to do to make sure that you move from being an actor where you're just cool with the status quo to an ally where you're actually doing action because ally is a verb. You need to do something. You can't just say something, do something. 
being from New York City, you talk about 9-11, after 9-11, right? If you see something, say something. I don't want you to see something and say something. I want you to do something. Let's take that a step further. So that's how we move from complacency to compassion to engagement. And then ultimately in this fight for liberation, there's going to be a struggle. And right now we're seeing a revolution, but we can't be complacent. And it's, I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure that this complacency doesn't happen. Um, but I think that's the shift that we're seeing is that's playing out on a large scale. And I want people to metaphorically burn stuff down to the ground. We have to, because if we don't seize this moment, if we don't leverage it, if we don't capitalize, we don't know what might happen uh, in order for us to have another opportunity like this. We know what will continue to happen, though, is that people will continue to be killed by the state. I mean, it's happened so many times. They keep taking people away from us. What are we going to do about it? Absolutely. And I feel like we're, we're going to see because I'll be honest, the whole Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben thing didn't really phase me because I'm in the marketing space. So rebranding is normal. So I, I don't buy that and pun absolutely intended, like whatever. <laughs> Not to mention, as we discussed before, the money is a, is a tax write off and you made it public. So that's literally the inverse of the reason for charity. Right. It's supposed to be like an anonymous donation. You're supposed to be working in the in the trenches with everyone else, because let's be honest, no one's eyes are there anyway. So I feel like I mean, we'll we'll see if there's actually any actionable and substantial changes. And for one, I would have to see, say the first action should be how police are punished. Right. The penalties for doing what they've been doing. So for one, that money has to come out of their pension because we all know they care more about that pension than anything else. Well, at least more than our lives, let's say. So let, let's take money out of that pension. There's no, there's no going to be there's not going to be any more settling with the city because their insurance handler will pay the pay the fee. Nah, we're going to take that directly from from the pension, and we're going to incentivize everyone to out people in the police precinct precincts and departments that are doing that. So the irony that you would be getting snitched on by your own your own uh, brother, but what are you getting snitched on for? That's number two. Number three, CJ, I'm so glad you bring it up. I've been saying this for a while. I think you need to recreate the parameters that they consciously did for all these victims, right? All these people, because it isn't just men, it isn't just women, we're people, we're souls, we're conscious beings, right? Have a, have a future, hopefully, but you're robbing us of that and thus our families as well. So what should happen? Each police who murders a black person, and usually from a traffic infringement or not even probable cause, which is another topic, right? You're gonna be in solitary confinement. You're not gonna get any visitation from any of your family members because we're gonna recreate the parameters. Because guess what? That person's family can't go speak to them, right? They can go to their gravestone, but that, we, we all know that's not the same. So the same parameters are gonna be applied to you. And the only time that you'll get human contact is if you're ready and if the families agree to it, you can meet with those families and explain to them why you did what you did. That's the only time you're going to get human you know, contact. Or if you actually want psychological help, you'll get a, a therapist. But those, those are your only options for human contact. When you're ready to be a human being again, then you can contact another human being. But before that, it's not happening. The therapist thing should be a, a a mandatory thing because I I fully hard full hard believe that 
one reason why we have all these things is because so many people don't have a therapist. That that should have been get go from the get. I think I think you should have a therapist before you have a, a school teacher. Absolutely. I mean, we get what you get. We get back. We take kids to the doctor before we put them in school, just to make sure everything's good. We start making start making therapy something that's not people aren't ashamed for that is healthy and and helpful, and we need to talk about it. I think Josh, I like your your demands for how we handle these police police situations. Uh, I like them because the United States as we know it will never go for it. Will never <laughs> oh, go that, for it. Oh, that's completely factual. But you have to challenge them so hard to one, let them know how serious it is. And two, because if you only challenge them a little bit, you never know if you're dealing with a complacent system. So they're only going to go just, if you give, if you say, Hey, we want five steps, they're only going to give you half a step. Hmm. But if you, take it super, super far, then maybe they'll go a little further. Mm. We have, you have to plan like you're talking to a complacent person, which is why, because I can be kind of an extremist, which is why ex- <laughs> I could be extreme, but I do that so that people know just how serious I am and mess around somebody will say yes and give me what I want. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, the police need to go. I want all like all the range of thing. Um, my is I know they're never that America's never gonna say yeah no more police, but that is what I absolutely demand, and I'm not gonna be satisfied with anything less than that. Because if and and this with Mika Abo you were saying before I'm not compla- I'm, I'm not complacent in my freedom. Once I am fully free. If we still got concentration camps at the border and other parts of the country, mm-hmm. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I ain't even got time to smile. You get rid of the police, boom, CJ, the police are gone. We passed a thing where, where Supreme Court and Congress, 75% has to be people are caught, whatever it is. Do we still have concentration camps? Then I'm not happy and I'm not having it to the point where I'm like, I'm not even going to. Uh, I don't even want to do the protest or fight anymore about the police. Let white people take care of that. I want to help my black and brown sisters at the border get out of concentration camps. Because, again, we're being complacent. And there's a hierarchy to racism. They committed genocide against the Native Americans, and Native Americans are allowed to be mascots. If there's a football team with an with a N-word as, as its mascot, White people will be upset and having a fit. That's too offensive. That's too far. However, that football team in D.C. with the R word as its mascot, people are okay with. They're complacent. Why? Because there's a hierarchy. And if we're complacent, as soon as Native Americans are completely eliminated, they're coming for us next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, not, and because, because the one thing that's not complacent is white supremacy. White supremacy will fight its tail off and work hard as, it can, as hard as it can do. So I'm not going to be complacent. I want it all. I want them all done. I want it all done. I want no more minorities as mascots. I want no more concentration camps. I don't ever want to see, in my personal opinion, I don't ever want to see a man be president ever again, at least for the next 30. The next 30 presidents need to be women of color. And if they're not, I'm going to be a little upset. Regardless of how much progress we're working, how we're making, 
I'm going to be pissed off. I actually think I want the squad so to be the next four presidents. We can start with, I, I don't know how, how I want to start with, with Ilhan Omar or, and finish up with, my, with Mama Ayanna Presley. <laughs> whatever it is but the next four presidents should be be those four women in 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 some type of order but the i have demands i have demands that of what i want for the country to be better and i don't want it to be slowly progressive i feel mm-hmm. like people are like well we've gone from 30 unarmed black deaths a year to 20 unarmed black deaths a year we're making progress and all I see is 20 people who've been murdered. And I know I'm lowballing that. And I don't know why we can't take it as seriously as people take like pedophilia. No one would say, hey, with the way the system is set up, only two kids in preschool at this particular preschool are going to get sexually assaulted this year, which is down from 10 from last year. So we're probably going to have two rapes this year. But we good, right? No, absolutely mm-hmm. not good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not mm-hmm. Good until mm-hmm. every child in that school is safe. It's just that serious. Racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, just that serious to me. I hold it on the same level as I hold assault. I really do. It's an assault in a certain way. It's an assault on someone's soul and their bodies, depending on what it is. And one way reason why people can't see that is because is the patriarchy. The white supremacist patriarchy has controlled the narrative and instead of you can do the bare, you get rewarded. We've gone from 10 assaults to two assaults. Yay. Good job, everybody. I'm like, really? We clapping for two assaults? Mm -hmm. Well, we're clapping for eight less assaults. Nope. I also teach math. I know how that works. You're applauding for two assaults as well. You can't do one or the other because you're complacent. And it's okay for those two kids to get hurt. And if we're being honest about it, the complacency also is, well, two assaults. Well, can I see the kids who are going to be getting assaulted? What are, what are the odds of, of the white kids being assaulted? Not very high? It's just the kids of color? Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that trade off. Hmm. Nope, not going to have it. Not going to have it. I'm going to run my mouth and I'm going to be loud and I'm going to be aggressive. Not going to get arrested because I love my freedom. It's, not, it's non-negotiable. But I'm not going to be complacent. Mm-hmm. If, if it means that we got to burn the whole thing down metaphorically, then it all comes down. Mm-hmm. People in power, white men specifically, white people in general, are going to have to come up off some of the power. Just going to have to do it. If you're really about that work, then you'll understand that. There are times when I myself, as much as I want to be a feminist ally, I realize my male voice has taken up way too much space. I need to shut my mouth and actually probably need to get myself up out of the room because the work that's going on here that these women are doing, what am I doing? They're coming out of a very specific, a specific perspective to get something done. So what I need to do is get out of here, get out of their way. And if they need me, they'll call me. I don't even need to check in. Hey, y'all good? Y'all need something? They need me, they call me. And I'm hoping because actually they don't, they don't need us. Mm. I think if we just remove men from the planet for two weeks, we'd be all right. Boom. Boom. Whoever's, and that's how the hierarchy is. That's how mm-hmm. the hierarchy works. Whoever has the most privilege and is the most oppressive, if they could just chill, even the ones who mean well, and they could just shut their mouth for two weeks, 
We only need one. The second week is just vacation time. If mm-hmm. we can just get all white people to be quiet for two weeks, get a lot of work done. And then just jump back in the fire. All right, boom, y'all got the ball rolling. What do we need? Perfect. That's all we need. It's like, y'all seen the Warriors? I don't know if I'm too old. Y'all remember the Warriors? <laughs> Warriors. Yeah. Come out and play. Mm-hmm. Get mm-hmm. the movie, which is my favorite part of the movie. The movie of the Warriors trying to make it through. When they have that meeting and Cyrus is trying to get all the gangs together. Like, that's what they need. Black Lives Matter, feminist movement, pride, you know, uh, mental health. Uh, not not full every body body people. We need all of us. If we can get all of us together, because Mikhail, as you said, who the country's made for? What white, male, straight, cisgendered, all of that stuff. If we would the rest of us, if we join forces together, and the six white people, six white men who fit that description, who want to do the work too, if they come too. There's way more of us than there are them. They can't stop us. They would have no choice but to listen to us. But as, as one of you said earlier, that whole divide and conquer thing, they got us separated. They, got, they constantly got us hating each other. They constantly got us hating each other all the time, even within our own movements. Mm-hmm. We, get, we, we fall for the white supremacy attack and we start hating each other again. And it's like, we can't, we have to keep it together. We need one giant movement, which should be Black Lives Matter which should have been Black Lives Matter because that encompasses everybody. For all the LGBTQ, we, that, there are black people in that group. Feminist movement, there's black women. Not full everybody people. We, just like black is like the combination of all colors, Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter is the combination of all movements. The crisis mm-hmm. climate, believe it or not, we live here. Yep, crisis climate, that, that, that affects us too. The climate crisis affects us too. All it should be that, but maybe we need to to be more aggressive about what it's going to be. But we need something to show that we are in this together. It's going to take all of us to dismantle the hierarchy of oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I co-sign everything you just said. And I want to trouble some stuff even more. So, so first I'm gonna speak to my vanilla folk, and then I'm gonna speak to my melanated people. First, the vanilla folk. You know, this is what I do. I bring excerpts from books because I'm about that life. I'm about that book life, right? So I, I use this quote during a faculty meeting in the beginning of the school year to point out some stuff because I was telling them what my 2020 vision was for this school year in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I was talking about what usually gets in the way to work. And one of the things that I talked about that usually gets in the way to work is white fragility, which is really hostility. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, if we had a team full of Karens in the NBA, they'd get all defensive team of the year because they always being so defensive and it's just it's just a lot. But anyway, I digress. So this is an excerpt from um, Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of Freedom. And this is to the it says this is just to the white folk, to the white folk. Right. And it reads, it says this. This liberal colonialist contradiction is no different from that of the many white liberal educators, particularly in risk and prevention programs, who proselytize about empowering minorities while refusing to divest from their class and whiteness privilege, a privilege that is often left unexamined and unproblematized 
and that is often accepted as a divine right. To do otherwise is to willfully destroy one's class and color supremacy, a very difficult task. It's pretty much everything CJ talked about. It's pretty much everything he's saying in terms of why folks are complacent. Why folks, particularly you think about white folks and even folks who are not white, but they identify with white because of the skin privilege that they have, even though they're really black inside, et cetera. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's different from that. So again, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? You realize that, oh my gosh, I don't want people to, to be killed, but I still enjoy my privilege. And if I had to choose between the two, eh, I mean, and that's where people are. And that's where people are in that cognitive dissonance to a point where it's like, you know what? Actually, I mean, it's no matter if I give up my privilege, it's still going to happen. We're all human beings. We have issues, blah, blah. There's always those pieces. So I think folks really need to interrogate the fact that they do have class privilege. There's a lot of things that you have skin privilege. And again, what are you willing to sacrifice? And usually you become complacent because you're not willing to risk it all. And, if, and the problem is, is that many of us, particularly melanated folks, we don't have that option. We can't choose whether or not we want to risk it all. And usually if we're choosing whether or not we want to risk it all, it's not to our benefit. It's like, okay, I'll deal and tolerate with this racism, with this sexism, et cetera, just so I can survive. And folks still, when they lay down at night, get killed. So that's a problem. To push it further though, I want to speak to my melanated people out there, right? Because there's a lot of folks, you know, I'm, I'm African-American. You know, I'm just one of these lost people just trying to find my roots. You know, I haven't done the 23andMe. I haven't done Ancestry.com. But I hope that someone will claim me someday. However, when I think about it, I have an honorary Haitian citizenship, thanks to my wife and her family. And I also have an honorary Jamaican citizenship, cultural citizenship, that is, thanks to my brother-in-law. So thank you. So when I think about people who don't necessarily identify as black or when we start to break out black or what that means, think about the African diaspora. When you think about the folks who got dropped off first, the folks who got dropped off last and the folks who never left the continent. There's a lot of stuff that we need to work out. There's a lot of things we need to wrestle with because there's some folks who think they're better than certain people to a point where we start to have a oppression Olympics or yeah, dang, life is hard for me, but at least I'm not that black person over there. Or I thought about it like I used to always joke about when I went to college, I was like, I'm gonna start the African-American Alliance because honestly, we're a minority within a minority. And I know that's not what intersectionality was coined as, but being an African-American in college at a predominantly white institution or university, I was a minority within that group because most of the folks were either African or from the Caribbean. So when we think about what we have to deal with there, particularly I'm thinking about an island such as Santo Domingo, if you talk about Haiti and the Dominican Republic and how a lot of Dominicans wanna kill Haitians because they're less than, they're this, they're that. They're... We have to really wrestle with decolonizing our mind because folks colonized our islands, the space that we've been in, told us that white skin privilege was not only a privilege, but a right, a divine right, as I just read. And folks are like literally bleaching their skin, et cetera, anything to be free in the eyes of the oppressors. So I want to make sure that we're also thinking about how can we unite, fight together underneath this one umbrella 
that really liberates all of us. But it seems like some folks don't want to hop on that bandwagon for whatever the case may be. And sometimes they might even throw us underneath the bus or, you know, sell us out for some gain in this white supremacist structure already. So I wonder how can we make sure that not only we get our vanilla brothers and sisters and everyone in check, but also talk to those folks who are trying to, you know, be stragglers or break up the, the happy home that we're trying to build within our Black Lives Matter group. Yeah, it's true, Mix. And I mean, at the end of the day, what's really happening is that they're micromanaging our freedom, which, number one, isn't freedom at all. Number two, you're creating these environments that are comparable with war zones because the black communities are literally designed to create PTSD at an incredibly young age. So imagine a child growing up in a war zone. That's that's number one. And then you come with the militarized police and you beg all your constituents as as politicians, right, for more funds to militarize your police. And then at the end of the day, I agree with CJ and, and Mix as well, but racism needs to be comparable with pedophilia. Because if it was, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a discussion at all. And that's literally our thesis for this entire movement. And it also leads to generational PTSD and to perpetuity, right? With any, without any hope of change. And that's how the system is designed by the people who created it. So it's just, it's just time to, uh, you know, upgrade and introduce America to some new things, you know? Absolutely. In mm -hmm. every way. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, no, no. And uh, I was just going to wrap up that the subject and, and go on to our next segment. Let's do it. All right. So we want to talk about, guys, is black pride worldwide? Because for our Caucasian brothers and sisters, some of you all may not know that a lot of us collectively and individually will have to, for lack of better words, dumb down their blackness just so you feel comfortable so this just with that reality alone it's it's uh illustrating the hostile environment so we literally have to change who we are to make you feel comfortable even though you're more of a threat threat to us than you are so i guess this segment i thought would be a great way for black people around the world just to be and and illustrate how proud they are of themselves like i'm thinking about places like Wakanda, right? Or as it's called, you know, Josh Kanda in my imagination. And it's just like, to me, and I, I feel like CJ, you'll get this metaphor and a, no shade to mix it all. It's just a, it's just a Marvel reference. It's, it's kind of like Asgard, right? It's not a place, it's a people. And I know whenever black people come around, there's that pure joy. There's not any danger unless let's say there, let's say there's too many police. And let's say some of us can't feel comfortable because of the amount of police at presence and then th that's when things seem to happen so i was just curious cj what does black pride mean to you for me it means uh being seen and respected and heard by other other black people and the only thing we may have in common is that we are black uh, the, an example I give a good friend of mine, uh, Adrena Williams, we were um, 
together at I, I almost said we were stationed together at Villanova. We were not stationed <laughs> together. It felt that way sometimes. It felt that way at Vanilla Nova that it we it was kind of a, a war zone going on, depending on what it is. And we're both theater majors. But on the surface, I think I feel like that is the only thing we had in common initially. But we saw each other right away. We were two of the few in in the room and in our class and on that campus. So we saw each other right away. And it was very quickly, I want to know about you. She wants to know about me because we end this thing together. But it was never a situation where we verbally said that where we said, hey, we need to stick together. We need to be able to, to talk to each other because we're going to experience this thing that, in a way that a lot of our white classmates are not. But the pride part of it meant that we didn't have to say any of that stuff. I walked into the room, and she saw me immediately, and I saw her immediately. Um, and that pride, the, taking that pride in yourself if you have pride within yourself, you won't be complacent. And I think there's a lack of pride in people who are complacent. And I think that often leads to fragility. But having that pride and I want to know all about who I am. And I want to know about all who she is. And I want to know all about who you are. Because we have more in common than we think about it. Even though like you may like Tribe and I may like NWA. And it's like, well, we're on two different paths. But if we think about it. We're both both of those groups and we're tr are trying to say the same thing and battle the same thing because both of those groups have pride in their blackness and their blackness is seen as a threat and they fought back. So when you have pride in your blackness, you automatically are going to be a threat. So you better be ready for have to have them come for you and you be ready to fight back. So to me, that is why that's a very long explanation. But me having black pride means in being able to, to check for each other and have each other's back. Because I can't have pride in my blackness without also at the same time having pride in your blackness as well. Mm hmm. Yeah. And um, I'm down with all that. And I, I, I totally agree. And I would lift up and quote the great philosopher Wale when he said, Subi, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. That's black pride to me. Particularly in this moment, space and time. Listen. I'm looking for you. I'm lifting you up. If you need help with something, let's talk about it. Let's build together. What I want to trouble though, particularly for those folks who might be proud of being black, yet for whatever reason, right, they might appreciate the black aesthetic or the black brilliance as long as it's not on a black body. And I think about some folks who, for example, Paul Mooney said, everybody wants to be an N-word, but nobody wants to be an N-word. And it's like, you want our culture, but you don't want us in your community. You want our body, yet you don't want our bodies in your office spaces. You want our brilliance, yet you don't want our brilliance to challenge you. So... When it, talks, when it comes to like black pride, I'm really about knowledge of self is essential, understanding that you have to love yourself before you can even love others. So if I don't love my blackness, if I don't have pride, in my, if I don't have pride 
of myself as a black man, as a black person, um, that I can't possibly have pride in someone else. I think about the spaces we've been in. I think about, for example, hypothetical situation. I work at an institution. This is hypothetical, by the way. I work at an institution. I walk through the hallway and there's a sea of salt and I'm the only sprinkle of pepper. A year later, I walk through that same hallway and it's a sea of salt, but there's more sprinkles of pepper. I am proud. So when we think about that, it's like, it's really seeing, it's visibility. It's, it's, it's being able to call upon that person who's in that English class and we're reading Huck Finn and someone said the N-word and we like, we about to check this dude, right? It's that type of pride too, realizing that you got strength in numbers, realizing that I don't even have to explain my situation. You already know. I don't even have to tell you it's time to ride. As soon as I open, I'm like, yep. You're like, all right, we out. You already know we are on the same wavelength. It's like we have a black pride compass. We know which way is north. That's the way to freedom. So that's my whole notion of black pride. And I think that we need to think about what it looks like globally. And sometimes, and even if you think about the census, for example, you don't want to start no trouble. And I know it's complicated, but you think about the census, right? I'm just going to ask a question because I've learned to query some stuff being at Quaker institutions. Um, where was Egyptian listed on the census? Last time I checked, Egypt was in Africa. But where was Egyptian placed on the census? Folks can go take a look. I'm just asking why. So when we start to think about pride and when we start to think about pride through our lens versus being through a different person's lens, what does that actually look like? So I would say, to, to sum it up, to be real brief, to sum it up, I would say that, um, one, Black pride is knowing that we have everything we need and more. It's just that people are trying to convince us that we don't, and people are trying to convince us that we're less than. People are afraid of our magic. People are afraid of our power, our beauty, our brilliance. They would purchase it, they'll buy it, but they don't want us to know that we have it and we can use it. So I would say the minute we start using it, that's black pride for me. Just a quick, if I can answer your question, answer your question, Mikael, of why you don't see Egypt on the census. Well, if the United States government were to acknowledge that Egypt should be on the census, it would also have to acknowledge that Egypt is in Africa. We all know Egypt is a part of Africa, but for the United States government to acknowledge that, you have to acknowledge that all the stories about people from Egypt that are in anthologies like the Bible come out of Africa. So you would have to be admitting that the Old Testament and all of those characters in it, including, <laughs> including Adam and Eve, who people, some people believe are the first, are from Africa. And there's a virgin who got pregnant and the baby could walk on water. And, and while they were not born in particularly Egypt, that lineage comes out of Africa. And the US has a lot of complacency <laughs> in that Bradley Cooper looking dude that they have up <laughs> on the cross. So that is why you will not see the United States as so put Egypt on a census. Just a little, little hyperlink fun fact for, for people out there. Oh yeah, that's complete facts. I mean, we saw this in Hollywood, right? So this is essentially nothing new. And I think when it comes to pride, and I'm just going to add on to you gentlemen, I do think it comes with self awareness right 
So you just have to self-awareness and understanding the truth, right? An observational truth is simply look yourself in the mirror, look yourself deep into your soul, right? And the facts will breed confidence and pride, right? Understand that truth that you're dope. We know it. You know it. And so does the rest of the world, right? So it's just consciously observing your dopeness in real time, regardless of what anyone else says. Because let's be honest, the peanut gallery is a bit racist, perhaps. And they're only going to spew negativity in order to invoke the response similar to uh, Karen's strategy, let's say. And if you if you and to add on to CJ's point, if you look at the illustrations of Egyptians, it's uh, it had like a, a color a scheme of each person so the people from the middle east were the middle east persuasion and the people in egypt specifically were i would say to be completely transparent cj's color right so they were incredibly black so there is no ambiguity there at all and the crazy part about this which i think sums up the cognitive dissonance of all parties involved is that in both evolution and creation we all come from black people and yet we're still here Absolutely. And it's that, and it's, as you said that, uh, like my color, and then describe that as incredibly black. There was a time when, maybe 13 to 15, when that would have bothered me and hurt me because I did not have that black pride because I was ingrained not to have it. And I had, and I had two parents who were, and a mother especially, who was, were constantly forcing the black bride in me all the time. But she was up against the school system and movies and marketing and advertising and an entire country that was telling me the opposite all the time. And for me in the 80s, growing up in the, in the 80s, it was, uh, if you wanted to insult someone, call them African. Mm -hmm. We'll go to blows. Don't call me African. We were taught to hate Africa. Taught to hate Africa. By who? It wasn't our parents. It wasn't our parents. And thank God for, for hip-hop finally coming in and coming through with groups like, like the Jungle Brothers and Tribe and Paris and all those who not just took pride, pride in being black but take pride in being, not even pride in just being African-American, being, being proud to be from Africa. You, know, you hold your head up. You are African. This is where you're from. Life started here, which means you are the first man. The reason why they want you to feel bad about yourself is because they can't be you. They can do all the stuff they want to do. They can appropriate it. They can take your style. They can do all the stuff, but they can't be you, and they know that, so they want you to feel bad about it. And that message was established from the first time the first white people got off the boat and started trying to massacre the Native Americans. And they've been selling that message ever since. So everyone who is not white has been trained to not have pride, black people especially, because if the slaves would have known how powerful they were, Massa was gonna have a problem. So they needed the Native Americans have pride because they got rid of most of them and they sent them all way over there. So they can have pride as long as they can here. But we, we, we don't need these black ones having pride. So we want to make sure we beat it out of them and take it out of them everywhere they can. So now I used to be, I don't know if I was ever ashamed, but I used to not really take a lot of pride in the darkness of my skin. And now I, I love it. 
I can't get enough of it. I, every summertime I get here, I want to be just as black as I can be. Because I want, first, I love myself just that much. I love that, that I was born with something that a lot of white people try to pay good money to fail miserably at. Love all of it. I need my students, all of my students, to see how much I love my blackness. I need everybody to know how much pride I have in myself. And then when I see black people from across the world, regardless of where they're from, that that beauty resonates in me too. That's me. I am them. When you say like, oh, uh, so some uh, African country where you see somebody say, hey, how you doing? And the phrase is, I am we. That's the response. I am we, I am we. I am you, you are me, I am we. That's the collective. That's that pride. Isn't that what they call like a pack of lions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that pride. That's what it means to be. I want to be as black as I can possibly be. Literally, metaphorically. I, I also hypothetically am at a predominantly white institution teaching, maybe. And... <laughs> I tried to blacken it up uh, this year, my first year there. It, it, it was pretty black. And, I, and now I'm not having any regrets at all, but I know, like, okay, I got to crank it up some. Because mm -hmm. I'm not sure everybody gets it. And I'm not going to be complacent. Next year, going to be black, blackity, black, 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 like CB4, blackity, black, 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 black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. just that. And then, let me care what you said, that pride, people, like, there's so much misogyny and, and homophobia within the black community, and I'm like, stop. Yo, when, when, you, when you put that shield up, you're missing all the beauty. You're missing all the joy. You're missing all the pride. Enjoy that. Lift those people up. Tell them that you see them. Because what saved me was not just my mom, but all of the, 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 the few black teachers that I had, other black adults in my life, the black friends that I had who weren't ashamed of their blackness, constantly putting those things in my head. And then when it was ready to click, it clicked and I was ready to roll. So we have to tell all of our uh, black brothers and sisters, all of them, how much we see them and how much we love them and how much pride we have them. When I see them do their thing, that makes me feel good. I love it. I love it. Because sometimes I'm tired and I can't do it, whatever it may be. And when I see them, it inspires me. It inspires me. It makes me want to get up. And like, there you go. There's my blackness. Help me find my magic back again. Where's my joy? There it is. So I want to keep sending that message out. That's what Black Pride Worldwide means to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just having a vision of, you know, Times when I felt like I was the only lion in the room. And I let out my little roar. But then I get my other folks to come through and we got this pride. You know, I'm growing out the main, you know, I can't really get up there, but I'm growing out the main. And we just get together to start roaring. So we building a pride for sure, for sure. And this is the moment, again, talking about the whole complacency piece. This is the moment when we cannot be complacent with our black pride. We actually have to be unapologetic. I'm not saying sorry to anybody. 
because there's nothing for me to be sorry about. In fact, a lot of people got some IOUs out there because about a million people owe me an apology. And I will take it in the form of reparations. Keep your words. Give me currency. Because honestly, I don't want to hear it anymore. Put up or shut up. So when we talk about Black Pride worldwide, I think it's a time when we need to start thinking about why a lot of things were kept from us. Why people told us we should hate Africa. Wait, hold up. We should hate Africa. It seems like y'all were always over there and you still are. What, wait, hold up. What, do you, what were you doing in Libya? Wait, how, how come? Wait, I'm confused. Wait, how, what's in the cell phone? Oh, okay. So it's interesting. All this stuff is very interesting to me. But why should I hate Africa? Oh, so we need to come to know that we are a mighty people. Like Marcus Garvey said, rise up, you mighty race. Get up. Get up. Because now's the time. You know, you talk about law. You have the jure and you have de facto. You have law and you have in practice. I think while it's difficult in terms of politics to change laws in certain instances, and sometimes people break laws anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I think we have a lot of power right now in the spheres of influence that we have to really change how things are practiced. So no matter where we are, we have leverage. We have bargaining chips. If this is a poker game, we should go all in because no matter what our hand says, we're going to win the game. Because if our cards aren't the ones that are going to win, we flip in the table and it's a wrap. So I think now is the time we have to actually do that because this is the moment. This is a moment we've been waiting for, we've been dreaming of. It's not the type of moment we wanted in terms of how we arrived here. But this is a moment that we cannot let go to waste. We can't. So for all those folks who are like, well, you know, I think they hurt us. No, no, no. They have not hurt us because if they hurt us, they would change. And they would have changed yesterday years ago. So let's actually keep going and make sure that these folks are a little proud about black folks too. Absolutely. Because if you think about it worldwide, the, the main goal is to emasculate and dehumanize, right? Or, and, or both. So it kind of reminds me of the Dr. Seuss book with the star bellies and how the, the entrepreneur in the entire, <laughs> in the entire book was actually getting money from both sides, but essentially right they there was one group of people that had star bellies and then they were viewed as second class citizens and then the gentleman the entrepreneur comes in with the machine that removes the star bellies and then they can feel whole again right so that may perhaps that that's like akin to to skin bleaching right that that would be a very comparable metaphor so and then at the end of the day the people who didn't have the star bellies went and got the star bellies because they wanted to be privileged again right because at the end of the day that privilege it uh it is literally hanging on by a thread based upon your direct ability to oppress other people right to me it's a loser's mentality like you want people to feel like they're losers in order for you to feel better about yourself and i feel like we have an abundance of winners in our culture and if you think about it think about how hard we have to work every single day just to make it home so it's just to me it's just a different a different mindset completely and i definitely think that we should have a we, we talked about this mix that we should have a black party and multiple black parties so you can't just appease one you you must appease them all right but in a in a in a fair way so things like a black wealth party a black health party because we both know 
that there are systems in place to prevent black health, just like there's systems in place to prevent black wealth. So things like that need to be erected, in my opinion. And just food for thought for everyone, and including in the comments. And guys, thank you for joining and participating. How much money has been generated? Because CJ, you brought it up, and it was a brilliant point from people spending thousands of dollars just to have black attributes. I mean, I feel like enough of that would be, you know, on par for getting getting close to reparations. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm thinking about all of that, all of that, that, that true freedom, reparation, getting what we owed. And I keep thinking about the, the pride and the lion thing and in the pride uh, for the lions, the, the 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 lioness, the female lions are the ones that really go get it. The men get the credit for it, but they don't really do nothing. So I'm like, maybe that, that black proper thing. And then you got me thinking about black women. And for, I don't know if you all have ever spoken about this on your show or whatever, but those of you who don't know, Statue of Liberty, it's a black woman. They don't want you to know that, but the Statue of Liberty is a black woman. And I just think about that, that fist she has in her air, in her up in the air, and they, they were scared of it looking like a fish, so they so the fist, so they put a uh, put a put a torch in there, put a torch in there, the, that that torch of illumination as they call it, to light it up. But the fact that Liberty herself is a black woman, the irony of Liberty herself being the most oppressed woman in the country, and that's the symbol you use for that. There's an anger in that that, that that makes me think when I think about that, but also a sense of pride that when all of those immigrants came through that first wave of immigration through Easter Island, the first person to meet them was a black woman. So regardless of how much they, they may think, what they, they may think about us, what they were told to think about us, this country can't deny us. They want to, but we are everywhere that everywhere they try to hide us, we always show up. Establish your liberty is black and so is freedom. Liberty is black. If you can't get down with that, then you can't get down with freedom. And you got, you got to get up, up out of the way because the pride ain't got time to take uh, days off no more. Absolutely not. And it's time to get it while the getting is good. We got white people's ear right now for a little bit. So it's time to grab them by the shirt and snatch them up and never let them go. You can hear about me. You can hear about me forever. You got, and it's like, what are your options? You got no options. You <laughs> have to deal with me. This is not negotiable. This is it. You can leave if you'd like. They like throwing that one at you. Well, if you're not happy, <laughs> here, if you're not happy here, you should leave. Uh, no, I, this is our country. We, we made it. We made it. So this is ours. So, so if y'all want to be here, y'all can raise up on out. But no, I'm going to be upset if the next president is not. Anytime we have a president who's not a woman of color, I'm going to be upset. Anytime we have uh, concentration camps going around, I'm going to be upset. Because I have pride in myself. I have pride in my country to be the best it can possibly be. And I will settle for nothing less. Make America great for the first time. And I settle for nothing less. Just like we demand of our students, I want your best. I can't, I don't need an A plus, I just need your best effort. That's it. I don't believe in the grade system anyway. I need that effort from everybody. 
And if you're not gonna give me your best effort, well, I might have to just push you to the side, or I'll drag you. I'll drag you to the finish line. But I'm not gonna drag you for too long. I'll, I'll drag you till you start walking. You either rough ride, ride rough, or roll over. I ain't got time to play no more. Mm-hmm. That that pride, my pride, from this last hour plus has lifted my pride to to a whole new level. Mm. And just just seeing you two and, and he reading the comments and all being heard, and I'm feeling it. I'm feeling all the energy. I'm feeling all the pride. Got my my America Chavez shirt on. Mm. All of my all of my pride is is just bubbling out, and I and I want it. I want my I want my freedom. I want everything. I'm owed. Mm-hmm. The United States government is gonna have to run the jewels. Straight up, this is it. This is it. The, the, they messed up. What did the way the U.S. government, I know they want to just run it away forever, but they messed up. They stopped at the red light, and now you're getting jacked. <laughs> you shouldn't stop. You should know by now. You should know by now. You can't stop. You got to do that California roll, and they keep going. Nope. Run your, run your jewels. Run. That's it. Coming, off, coming up off of it. There's no, well, what if we give you a little bit? Nope. Nope, 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 nope. I want it all. I want it all. And you could, you can, some, just like with the statues being taken down, I told someone, they were like, well, why did they take this statue down? You can take it down and put it somewhere you want, or you can pull it up out of the river, but it's coming down. You can hand over the freedom nicely, or it can get, what, is, what about Goldie saying in the Mac? We can keep it pimping, <laughs> or we can get into some gangster shit. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Start a riot. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I'm in this space right now where I'm like, you know what? Because I've been receiving a lot of emails after all this whole, you know, after after folks discovered racism a couple of weeks ago and they're like, oh, wow, what is this thing? How do you spell it? Um, after they discovered it, right? I'm like, okay, I've been receiving a lot of emails about how can I, can I, what, a, what? all this stuff is happening, right? So I'm thinking to myself, I'm just doing a thought experiment in my head. I'm like, okay. Let's say we're willing to risk it all. Who's really going to lose? So I'm thinking about certain folks who are in certain spaces and they need us, particularly now, because if they don't have us, those folks who have awakened and have gained some consciousness, welcome to the party, by the way. For those people who have gained consciousness and they're really really ready to hear us, they're gonna be checking for us. And if we're not there, what does that mean about your institution? Will it continue to stand? So meanwhile, if we risk it all and leave and your institution crumbles and we build ours, what is that? where is that going to leave you? So I think if you want to talk about negotiating, like you said, it's non-negotiable. Give me what you owe me. Like I said, Rihanna's. Be better have my money's been in my head. Pay me what you owe me. Don't act like you forgot. Because if you did forget, I might knock you upside your head for you to remember. I said might. Metaphorically. Anyway, <laughs> I'm out. So, you know what I mean? It's time for a day of reckoning. If folks really, really, really feel like there has been injustice, how are you going to repair that breach? How are you going to restore that justice? And it's not with a statement, it's not with a pledge, 
because there's a lot of people who pledge allegiance and they are not patriotic in any way, shape or form. So miss me with the pledges, unless it's a donation to my bank account and other people's. And let's actually bring about change if that's what you're about. And if you're, if you're not about that change then stop saying you are, so we know where you are. Mm-hmm. So we, we can approach this at a different angle. That's it. That's all I want to know is where do you stand? Absolutely. And if we're being completely honest, and I got to take it back to CJ's original point, there were there are white people, as we see, who are disgusted by the abhorrent treatment and behavior. And they are well aware that if we do erect those black businesses, right, those black vehicles and systems of wealth into perpetuity with compound interest, then they're going to want to come work with us as opposed to working for you, which is maintaining the status quo. And that's one of the ways with the economy, as we all said, right, is to change the status quo financially, right? And if we think about it, it wasn't just us, right, in terms of racism. And I feel like Mr. Whenever whenever I counter a a racist person of a, a certain persuasion, I always like to remind them of the people of their same persuasion who had a different perspective, which everyone in their system idolizes and adores. Corey Hemplow, Mr. Albert Einstein, we're right next to Princeton. And this was his quote. There is a separation of colored people from white people in the United States. That separation is not a disease of colored people. It is a disease of white people. I do not pretend to be quiet about it, which is a very interesting perspective because Einstein was leaving that type of racism in his own country of Germany. So as an outsider, that's the first thing he recognized. And if we're just going to go back in history, this is why I get so confused by people of who currently have the white privilege, but didn't back then. So back when CJ's uh, example about Ellis Island, right? You had the people of who were who were Jewish, who were Italian, and who were Irish, and they were called derogatory terms just like we were. They were they were the second class citizens until they were allowed to have the privilege, and then they continued on with that privilege and then we were the ones oppressed right so this is interesting that your own people were segregated and oppressed systematically because of your race like what i think one of my favorite films that's which almost made me want to become a lawyer like my dad which was 12 angry men and then that no you know spoiler alert it's a it's a italian kid on trial and he's essentially being treated as they would a black kid oh he oh they're you know their neighborhoods they're they're all criminals right oh he he, you know he had it coming even if he didn't do it he'll probably do it in the future right mindsets like this and i think this is a a wonderful uh illustration of what's going on now so i'm probably going to watch that very soon that's uh crazy two things one i uh teach that for the first year i taught um teach middle school seventh grade theater i teach we do a play in class uh, is 12 Angry Pigs. Oh. Uh, the kid version of it is about 15 minutes long. We do that, and it's the same. The, the wolf is on trial, and the 12 pigs are the, are the jurors, and uh, same type of thing. And somebody was like, well, he's a big, bad wolf. And thing is, whoa, whoa, whoa. It never says big, bad anywhere. It just says wolf, and it starts going through the whole thing. Well, if he didn't do this, you know he probably did something else. And it's 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 watching those students go through that some of them get it like i see what's going on here and knowing that a lot of them may not get it get it 
but they'll get it. And then we talk about discussions in class of of who identify who is your favorite character and why. And the wolf has like one line at the end of the play. And so many of the kids of color say they identify with the wolf. And he's not even in the play. He shows up at the end. So how are you identifying with someone that you don't even see, but you're hearing how people are talking about him? Wow, powerful. You're hearing how people are talking about him. And it's, it's super telling. And I, I haven't seen, watched the movie version of 12 Angry Men in quite some time. I thought I remember the kid being black. I forgot he was Italian. Just be, but I do remember all the languages. Like, that's right. So, the, yeah, people need to be reminded you know, we are far more, we're far more alike than you think we are. Our struggle is very similar. Your ancestors chose to come here. Mine didn't have a choice. So it's, there's a lot of major differences too. But stop forgetting about your history. Stop disrespecting your ancestors who worked their butt off for you to have the privilege that you have. Even if some of them worked in terms of trying to assimilate, that assimilation came out of like this weird type of survival. And then the same thing of like having black pride, having black pride for, for all of our black sisters. I feel like it's impossible for me to say something disrespectful about any black woman, but Candace Owens be trying me. She trying, she's trying so hard. And I try to remind myself I don't know her. I don't know where she was from, but she needed more black people to tell her she was beautiful and she's special and to have her pride. And that beauty ain't got nothing to do with her physical appearance. You are black. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. You, you, that black girl magic runs all through you. Your ancestors brought you here. Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, all that is in you. So I don't know what the hell is going on right now. But I need, I need, I need her, and 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 she ain't the only one. She's the one that that, that we know about. But they be mm-hmm. going, to, they show up at the rallies and everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to reach out to them and tell them that they are loved. Someone needs to tell them, "I love you, I see you." Getting on my last nerve, but I'm reaching out to you <laughs> because of my black pride. I'm not going if if. She is mentally, you can be free. A lot of us are mentally free. She is not, some, some people are not mentally free and they need to be reminded that. They need to be reminded that. Because I don't, don't, I don't know if I was ever on the trajectory of being Candace Owens, but I was on the trajectory at one point of being something that's not what I am now. But I constantly have people reminding me that I am free. So yeah, that's black pride means more than it can't just it can't just be black pride and black love for the people who who are agreeing with me. Mm-hmm. I gotta. We can't. Nobody gets left behind. Somebody gotta go grab Kanye. Mm-hmm. He needs to be the leader at one point. I don't know what happened to him. Well, we know it's in him. Somebody mm-hmm. gotta go get Candace. Somebody go get Ben Carson. Somebody go get him. We we gotta yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how much pride I have. And that's the real, because when you think about the whole word love, another word for love is charity. And I believe that charity begins at home. So if charity begins at home and love begins at home, then it should start in our households. And then it, it, it reverberates out into other spaces. Um, but for me, love is also accountability. So that piece, 
that you mentioned in terms of, you know, in love, in love, yoking somebody up real quick and letting them know what's good, having a little conversation, you know, that's that's important. Um, and I think that, again, there's a lot of people who are lost out there. There's a lot of people who we who we want to reclaim. And there's a lot of people who, because of the racist, sexist, crazy world we live in, but specifically talk about the United States of America, they feel like the only way they can be free and survive is to play to those standards of the game. And it has to be a point in time where we either say we're playing by our own rules or F your game, I'm playing my own game. Y'all over here playing poker? We about to go start start a spades game over there. You coming or not? So don't get left at the poker table. <laughs> it's true. And I'm just curious, you know, this asking out of pure curiosity, if you were to see these lovely people on the street, what would you say? <laughs> and they had the the uh, swag on, you know. I'll ask them straight up, straight up. My question is, what would Harriet say? <laughs> what What would Harriet Tubman say? She probably you know, sm- smack him. So the question is, <laughs> what would your grandmother say? Because it's hard to fathom. I see a lot of broken grandmother hearts in that thing. And I get the, the little ones, I'm not, of course, not mad at them, right? They'll believe whatever you tell them. They can have a hard time later. But for the grown-ups, what, what would your grandmother say? This is what, this is what Harriet Tubman fought for, for you to do this? This is what I thought I could be, I shouldn't go, metaphorically speaking, I think <laughs> Harriet Tubman, and to correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I thought part of her thing was it's time to go. And some people were like, I'm scared here. I can't go. Well, then you got to go because it's non-negotiable. So metaphorically speaking, I said all I said, all that I said, maybe I need maybe black pride meaning like, well, if a couple get left behind in order to save the rest of us, maybe they just got to go. Maybe, maybe, because I was thinking about Candace. I think sometimes within the celebrity spotlight, I think sometimes maybe it's just a money grab. They're just trying to milk whatever it is. But for that picture, uh, I was ready. I, I was focused on talking to Candace Owens. I thought that thing, but that, that I wasn't ready to talk to all of them. <laughs> I, was re- I was just going to play Kanye's first album for him. Like, dude, what happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I wasn't, I wasn't, oh man, I forgot about, I forgot that there's a lot of us who don't, who, who aren't free mm-hmm. can't see it. And for a case of survival or whatever it may be, I just got to tell them, look, here's the deal. This is non-negotiable. Are you coming? And if you ain't, well, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> yeah, right. Word. So. I'm with you. And if I didn't happen to have, I would first check my pockets to see if I have that uh, men in black flasher <laughs> to just erase whatever they got going on up there. If I don't have that, I will look to see if I see a small teacup with a spoon in it so I could break it. These, <laughs> these mofos in the sunken place. I would then burn all hats because it seems like that hat gives crazy power to people. 
confused. Um, but what I would do really is I'm just having a hard, I'm having a hard time understanding. And this is not politics. I'm having a hard time understanding how someone can get behind that human being. And notice I had enough respect to call him a human being, even though I got other words. But I, I'm having a hard time understanding why anybody can justify, let alone the presidency, how anyone can justify lifting him up as a human being, the way he treats other human beings and the way that he encourages others to treat other human beings. I have a hard time. So, you know, I never really did subscribe to the no child left behind policy. It didn't make sense to me. And I'm a policy analyst. Um, so some children need to be left behind. And in some cases, some adults. But you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Now, I would show them that water. Feel it. Taste it. This is water. It's good for you. In fact, most of your body is water. Did you know that? Blah, blah, have a conversation. But if they can't understand those things, I will let them know that um, the Red Sea is open right now and it's going to close soon. So if you want to be over here with Pharaoh <laughs> and get drowned, it's on you, boo-boo. I'll be on the other side looking for milk and honey in the promised land. So that's what I might do. That sounds like a biblical Josh segue. So I'll just uh, jump in here in the uh, land of milk and honey. And it's interesting when you think about corporations that have ties to the slave trade, but then also still have black employees. So as soon as I saw this meme, I was just like, wow. So Lloyd's in London, right? And I have this black gentleman out front standing guard but he probably can't afford to go in there anyway. So it, to me, it's just certain things like that. And then I ask, is this what is required moving forward to uh, essentially exercise those Second Amendment rights and, and add some uh, reasons to not fear when you go to sleep? We'll see. I don't know. I know that if I thought I know the fix for gun control, if we want stricter gun control laws, if all black people go out and legally purchase a gun, they will change those laws immediately. They'll strictly and because that's what they did with the Panthers. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, we need stricter gun control laws. They buying guns now. So maybe we just need to do that again. And it's it'd be interesting. The, the threat is for a lot of white America is they're afraid that we may start treating them the way they treat us. I think that's the fear. And that's not what we want. We're not looking for revenge. And there are plenty of opportunities for that. We're not looking for revenge. We're looking for freedom. But that freedom for us feels like their oppression. Yeah, you know, and it's it's white man's burden is a black man's dream. Like that is that this that mindset. And it's I don't know what it's going to take. I don't think scaring white people into doing the right thing is is, is effective. I think historically speaking, that doesn't work. Um, but I'm done. Somebody told me, well, like, you catch more honey, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, which is true. 
but I'm not trying to catch any flies, so I don't know why they're giving me that advice in the first place. <laughs> I'm not trying to catch anything. <laughs> like I'm talking about white people here. You call them flies. Like have some more, have some more respect for yourself. Not trying to do this. Um, I'm not gonna be nice just when when I don't need to be nice. So I'm not stepping off the sidewalk for you anymore. Uh, I'm not trying to to flex my firearms because I think that I think a lot of people are just so edgy waiting for an excuse. Uh, but maybe, but that's me. That's the, the way that I choose to fight, and I and I fully understand why so many people may choose to arm themselves because it feels like something's coming. It feels like something's coming, and 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 it may take something. If the Civil War what is what it took for to to end slavery they had to go to war you need to understand what that just what the impact of that means what it means is because again we know that black people were freed from they were emancipated but still giving out given absolutely no rights that was never the intention to give black people equal rights so what the civil war was about was that the south did not want to pay their employees that was it there was never any intention of allowing black people to have equal rights it was just pay them for the for the labor i'd rather die than pay these people for their labor that is what led to a war so we're asking for freedom and equality we just need to be prepared for what that may mean because asking for less than minimum wage was enough for the country to, to, to split in, to split in two and go to war with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, and now we're asking for a lot. Yeah, I, I apologize. I apologize. Now we are demanding everything. I'm not asking for anything. Nobody asks that. You don't ask your oppressor to stop oppressing you. Please, could you stop hurting that person? No. I'm not asking that person for anything. They need to stop. And is in the words of, of Malcolm X and my mama, if somebody puts their hands on you, you have an obligation to make sure they don't put their hands on anybody else. White supremacy has been putting their hands on us for a long time. Then they put their knee on us. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure they don't ever put on anybody else ever again. Real rap, real rap, real rap, real rap. Now, I know we was on this whole thing about women of color being presidents moving forward, and I'm with that. But can we squeeze in CJ 2020? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. But Why not? In, in, terms of, <laughs> in, in terms of where I'm at, um, if kneeling during the national anthem is not patriotic, is purchasing a firearm legally and using my Second Amendment right, patriotic? So if you want me to be a patriot, what type of patriot you want? That's my question. So again, if, if, if you want us to get down to brass tacks and talk about what it is to be American and what's patriotic, I'm starting to think that no matter what I do because of who I am and the body I'm in, you're gonna see it as not being patriotic, even if I'm following all the rules. I mean, I could be following all the rules and still I get stopped and frisked. I could be following all the rules and still I get gunned down in my bed. I could be following all the rules and still when I'm enjoying my ice cream, I'm dead now. So 
what do we do? What do we do? And that could be a part of it. But like CJ said, you know, it, it, it's, it's troubling when we get to a point where we have to actually be violent because y'all taught us violence. We're not a violent people. Now, we know how to do some stuff, but we're not a violent people. Never have been. Look at the history. We're not a violent people. We're not trying to conquer the world. We good. We had agriculture. Our land and soil was great. Your folks was over there in, you know, in the caves, etc. You know, with the with the winter and the cold, and you didn't really have the best climate. So you had to come pillage and rape and you know destroy and all this stuff. You know, looking like Killmonger trying to destroy all the heart-shaped herbs. There's <laughs> no need for that. There's no need for that. So when we think about what is needed, what we need is for either some folks to disappear or we need some folks to give up the power that they have. And my situation here is, is that you can say all you want to say, but unless there's a transfer of power or a redistribution of power, what you're saying to me makes no sense. It makes no sense. So again, it always comes back to this. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? And if it gets to the point where we can't have these conversations anymore, then it might come to something else. Again, our ancestor, Frederick Douglass, always said it. It's going to be a struggle either way. It might be a moral one. It might be a physical one. It might be both. But it's going to be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without the man. We're demanding you to concede your power. And we're asking nicely. I hope we don't have to get to the next, the next phase of whatever that might look like. Right. And is essentially demanding for power that you claimed illegally, first from the Native Americans, and then let's say in terms of human rights, as based upon the, let's say, the treaty that the country signed at the UN, uh, in terms of being inhumane, you're, you've, you've done that as well. And also in terms of genocide as well. So it's a, it's a wonderful wonderful discussion guys i appreciate it thank you for your time and i just wanted to respectfully mention our sponsor for today's episode so we have to thank brother sangu delhi and uh his book making futures young entrepreneurs in a dynamic africa so this is also also available in on amazon and the link is in the description also Sangu will be on our show, as CJ is now, next Tuesday at 6 p.m. So, CJ, sir, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We, that, was, that was amazing. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. It has been an honor and a pleasure and a very prideful event. Thank you so much. It means a yes, lot. Sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. So, guys, stay safe, stay blessed, and enjoy the rest of your week. You repeat what they created and get power to hate. But worst of all, we disappoint all the greats. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah. Yeah.